Welcome to another edition of the Week Den Update. I'm your host, Will Walker, and I'm joined every week by John Kraft. How's it going, John? It's going well. Uh, very exciting. Uh, I think it's it's regular season NBA, and we got three really exciting games. Uh, it was a really fun week of uh, NBA basketball. So I'm excited to talk about it. The Grizzlies are 9-4. and four. That is good for tied for second in the Western Conference. I had to update this this uh, record here in standings with the latest development uh, as Portland and Utah both lost tonight. Uh, the Grizzlies are tied for fourth in the NBA. Their offensive rating is 114.8, which is the exact same offensive rating as last week, And uh, but they went up two spots, so they're fifth in the NBA there. Defensive rating, 113.2. They are 23rd in the NBA, so they went down one spot, actually, uh, from last week there, and their net rating is 1.6, which is good for 13th in the NBA. They went down three spots in net rating, actually. Uh, and their point differential, according to Cleaning the Glass, is 3.7 so far this season, which is good for sixth in the NBA. We are going to talk about the games that happened last week. We're going to talk about the games that are upcoming this week. But first, we're going to start with the news. John, you want to start us off? Yeah, so I'll start us off. Uh, so on um, on 11-10-22, uh, which is kind of a funny story, uh, Desmond Bain was fined uh, 15k for kicking a ball into the stands of the Celtics game, and uh, I I was actually there when I saw it. Uh, I kind of gasped, and uh, my friend James, who was with me, was like wondering why. And it's uh, because I know that if you throw the ball in the stands, uh, refs can throw you out. And I was very nervous. Um, I, I could tell it was sort of like one of those that ran into his foot, but he also very much lo- looked like he was kind of kicking it in frustration. So it's one of those that the refs didn't see it, uh, but then the NBA saw it and uh, fined him $15,000. But it is something uh, – I, I hope that was an, a fun way of learning – I mean, not a fun way, but a less uh, bad way of learning his lesson um, because next time he does that, I bet he get, gets kicked out of the game. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because if you watch the replay back, I think you can actually – do some dissection of of angles and velocity because it was it was it was off the scores table. It looked as if he's jogging off nonchalantly. It kind of hits his foot. He does a slight, ever so slight, kind of movement of his foot outward, and the ball just like rockets off a lot faster than I would have thought it would based on what it looks like, and so. He, though, his body language after it happened wasn't one of like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. He kind of walked away in frustration. Granted, it was in the last minute of the game. Uh, things were things were in flux for a bit there, and they didn't end up going the Grizzlies' way. And so I'm sure there was at least some level of intent behind it. But I'm sitting here today saying you could make the argument, or Desmond Bain could in a court of law, that yeah. you know there was maybe – uh, something not quite intentional about it, but at the end of the day, he it, he did what he did, and the NBA had to find him, and so that's where yeah. we are. Um, yeah. so we talked about this a little bit on the uh, main Grizzden pod uh, a couple nights ago, but the Grizzlies released the City Edition uniforms. Uh, I will uh, start by saying my my review was harsh, and as we processed and talked it out. <laughs> Uh, it was more to me, it became clear both to me and to the listeners that it was less about 
I would say the object of the uniforms and more about my expectations of what the Grizzlies have, uh, their branding has been and their creativity in the past. And so I'm basically holding them to a very high standard and it didn't meet my standard. Some people say that um, they were better in person. I actually didn't have that experience. I actually found a couple more details that I didn't love about them. But John, before I talk any more about this, because we already went for 15 minutes on the last spot, yes, I'm going to give y'all did. you the no, I just I couldn't believe y'all are such haters on the podcast. So I I will say I mean I I definitely always make fun of the fact that I'm not a fashion person. So the fact that uh, that I like them more than the the rest of y'all is probably is not good for the uniforms. <laughs> but I will say at the game I was I was shocked how how quickly there were already a lot of uh, people wearing the uniforms, uh, wearing that style in the stands, and uh, and so I I liked it because I think it's Memphis. Uh, I agree with you. It's not as good as the stacks uniforms and some other ones we've had, but uh, but I still like it. I like what the, what they tried, uh, and and honestly, for me, it's always uh, how are they compared to the rest of the league? And you know, I know Brantley talked about it. It was a CBS one uh, that already ranked us number one. You see on Twitter people praising that man Memphis just understands you know their team and their city so well compared to our teams. So in that sense, I'm happy. Yeah. Um- we don't have to say much more uh, about it, except for the numbers on the back are very big. I uh, wish they were a little <laughs> bit smaller. Um, I, I, I will say, I, I I thought in person, I thought the uniforms looked really cool. That was the only thing that was a little weird to me is how the the numbers looked on the back. All right, I'm going to take this next one, and then I'll let you finish this out with our last one. But uh, Danny Green yeah. said on his podcast uh, a couple days ago that he could see himself in Memphis for a couple more years if the Grizz would allow it. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the uh, media side of things and, um, you know, our, our thoughts on what that could lead to because he said he's, you know, planning on having some Grizzlies players on to the podcast. And so we had a lot of discussion in that realm, but we didn't quite get to the actual um, player in Danny Green and the decision that the Grizzlies will have to make on whether they actually would want to extend a player like Danny Green, um, and I wish we would have talked about it a little bit more, but now we have the opportunity to hear right now. And and personally, you know, I was thinking about Green and 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 how at his age, you know, he's he's getting up there. Uh, he plays a similar position to a lot of guys that we recently drafted. And my question is, one of the holes that we've seen when uh, with Jaron out and now having you know a game against. Um, uh, against Boston, where we also didn't have our other big available, uh, you could see a hole there where we needed, in my opinion, some at least a bigger body to fill, and I wish we would have had that on our roster going in. Um, and I would venture to say that a Danny Green coming off an ACL tear may, might not be the best use of a roster spot. Now, who knows? He could look really good. We could hold on to him past the trade deadline, and he could have some playoff moments, and he could also be a really good vet, and that's important to have around. But in the uh, maturation of this team that I believe is happening very quickly, uh, I don't know if we can even afford a roster spot for, let's say, a vet presence uh, when our team is starting to grow before our eyes and have so much um experience in in basketball years if you will uh but john do you have any thoughts on either the media side or the uh the basketball side with danny green yeah so uh, quickly to add to your point i mean i i think i agree with you i mean we'll see 
I, I still think of him as a tradable contract until the trade deadline, and then we'll see. I mean, I, he's old, and he's coming off an ACL, and I, I agree with you. Having a third big um, or you know, basically trading out maybe a Tillman and Danny Green's contract for an upgrade for a third big is something that I could see us doing um, because I do think that uh, even with Jaron, you know, when Steven Adams is out, I just think it's nice depending on the teams you're playing to have another big, like a very, like a seven foot tall person. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I, I would be very, sh- I would be very surprised if we were to resign him. I would feel like if we did that, then that means some other moves happened. Yeah. So, agreed. And, and then as far as, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the Tillman spot is the one too, that like you could, you could theoretically, you know, upgrade that and use that roster spot for the big. But I also would mention we are very, very shallow at guard. We really only have three true backcourt players on our roster. So that would be another, to me, uh, position to think about and having a viable backup there. Yeah, no, definitely. And then as far as the media side, uh, uh, for y'all, for those of y'all who missed it, go back and listen to the pod. I, th- I loved y'all's conversation on this and, and the forward thinkingness of grind city media and, and all, and just kind of talking about that. But I just think I'm excited that uh, we could potentially have some uh, just hear some players. And I think uh, just looking at how our players have done interviews, I think when they've gone on to uh, podcasts or interviews uh, with people, either their own age or with other athletes, I feel like they've been more uh, honest and vulnerable. And so I, I look forward to potentially hearing from the Grizzlies and, and, and then, and, and the other thing, the only other thing that, and y'all mentioned this a little bit, it's just great having someone who's been in organizations like the Spurs and the Raptors and, and even, you know, in some sense, the Lakers, although they're, they're, they're kind of a cloud show right now, but, uh, but just part of winning organizations. And he would say that he loves our organization and that he'd be willing to stay here longer than this year, I think says a lot about our culture and organization. Hey, they weren't a clown show when Danny Green was there. So they were not maybe, so maybe that's the common factor. Um, yeah. all right, I'll let you take this, uh, last news item here. Yeah. So, so on, uh, it's kind of a, a double, double news item, but on November 10th, uh, uh, Jenkins before a game came out and said that Jaron Jackson Jr. had been playing five on five with contact, uh, but that the organization was taking baby steps to his return. And so it was kind of one of those exciting news and then bad news at the same time. I know for us, when we heard baby steps, I got very nervous and began to think Thanksgiving uh, or a little after that. I was very nervous that they were kind of doing a slow play, trying to back everybody off. Um, uh, being excited about him coming back soon. But then uh, two days later, uh, t- uh, November 12th, which is the time of our recording, uh, Jaron Jackson has been listed as doubtful against the Wizards tomorrow, being upgraded. And and while we're still, we're, we're still trying to figure out, uh, they've been doing some different things with questionable and doubtful. Uh, I do think uh, that him being upgraded doubtful basically means that he is coming back soon. Uh, that they are that he will like go through the warmups probably even tomorrow, and that's very exciting. Uh, that that tells me, and in my opinion, we can talk about this. Uh, I, I'm interested to hear your opinion. I mean, that tells me I think at he will definitely be back for the Thunder game Friday and maybe even the Pelicans game Tuesday. Yeah, no, I had this. This might be the most exciting news item of the year so far, and it's it's about a guy who's being listed as doubtful. So that, I mean, <laughs> that's how excited uh, I am personally, and I know we are, to have Jaron back. And, yes, when I heard Baby Steps, I was thinking the worst. Like, I... Um, 
yeah, I, I was hoping it would even still be November. I mean, because when you hear that, you know, what it implies. But I'm I'm so excited, especially with our upcoming schedule. I think there's a lot of places where Jaron could be a definite mismatch. Uh, and we could see what our team looks like with a a full starting lineup finally. And so, yeah, we'll get into maybe more of those yeah. matchup potential uh, uh, exploits. But I think that... I would be surprised at this point not to see Jaron on the floor on Friday, if not sooner. Yeah. yeah, and what an exciting thing about we're we're entering a portion of the schedule for the next three or four weeks where we don't have a back to back too. So it kind of makes it even more exciting because it seems like by the time we get to back and back back to backs that hopefully Jaron will be back in the fold and not having to like sit out and things like that that we usually do with people coming off injuries. So it's I think it's a really good time with a lot of days in between games coming up these next two, three weeks to bring them back too. So Yeah, that's a great point too because we're not going to have the full Jaron Jackson Jr. experience when he gets back. I would imagine some level of ramp up. Um, I will be so intrigued to see his foul rate uh per minute and see if he still manages to uh to have that side of Jaron's game but I, I'm more joking around when I say that it's I'm I'm gonna be so excited uh for what he's gonna bring I hope that his conditioning um will I mean there's nothing like gameplay to bring your conditioning up and so um let's let's go in with a certain level of expectation that isn't too high and then go right. from there I would encourage everyone and I'm really saying that for myself yeah, but one of the things, and, and I liked how um, it was interesting on, on the last podcast, uh, y'all were talking about, uh, you know, Jaron and y'all were talking about how everybody was shooting threes well, and 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 it was funny because there's an assumption that Santi's been shooting well, but he actually has not been shooting well, and he's been great for us, but just thinking about adding uh, Jaron's, uh, even not ramped up, just Jaron defensively, you know, before, you know, he it'll probably be a while before he gets to kind of his peak, but just adding that and and honestly, even if Jaron shoots, you know, b poorly, like the thirty-one percent he did uh, last year, that is still an improvement on Santi's outside shooting. And we all know that that people don't treat him like a thirty-one percent free totally. throw shooter. I mean, he's three-point shooter. He's going to be spacing the floor, and, and it allows us to play all sorts of interesting lineups um, out there. And so it's it's super exciting just to, to have him back, um, to think about him playing in less than a week. Yeah, he's a career 35% uh, three-point shooter, and Santi right now is shooting under 30. And so you automatically think about that five, five percentage point upgrade, especially, and this is a great segue, in a game like last night uh, against Minnesota where you could, you could see Jaron's shooting at a 35% clip actually have a profound effect on a game like that. So let's get into to that game. We were both in the house, if, if I were to understand. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. Yes, Just wanted we to were. confirm. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a blast. I it was an 8:30 tip, so you knew that it was going to be a little bit more raucous than it usually was. I, for one, um, by about the third quarter, was getting a little tired, but I uh, thought that up, that was due in part to the officiating, which they were calling a very tight whistle. Uh, we had both teams in the bo bonus in the first quarter. I would say it ended up playing more to the Grizzlies' advantage than the Wolves' advantage by the end of the game, yeah. but I had to mention that. I, I yeah. usually like a little bit more of a liberal whistle, <laughs> and I, especially when in a team like the Grizzlies who thrive on yeah. flow. Uh, but the Grizzlies did take home the win 
against Minnesota, 114-103, to their old playoff foe that has become somewhat of a rivalry. We can argue whether that will be in the future based on the domination. Uh, but, John, what were your right. your main takeaways from the game? Yeah, so, well, first just to comment on that, you know, it's also it's also the first week of daylight savings time here. Absolutely. And so, in re- reality, um, I did feel that as well. I mean, the, I thought the crowd was as hyped as it could be for the first couple, uh, for the first half. And I think even the players were. We were missing a lot of shots long, having some weird air balls. Uh, just so, I, I think everybody was really hyped. But I also felt that third, fourth quarter, I thought the crowd started to get really tired, both because of the whistles and because our body clocks are still thinking it's super late. But, uh, but it was super fun. Uh, it was a great environment. Uh, it kind of... Uh, we'll talk about the Boston game. I thought the Boston game felt like a playoff game on the court, but I felt like this felt, uh, re- you know, brought me back to the playoff uh, as far as how hyped the crowd was, how intense sort of the players were, how much energy they, they were bringing. It was it was really fun. Yeah. Fun night. It was great. You want any basketball takeaways from you, John? What stuck out? Yeah. So, I mean, well, I mean, it's it's funny. I feel like it's less about us and more about the T-Wolves, honestly. Uh, I just was shocked because we we shot uh, we had great shot quality, but missed a lot of wide open shots. We missed a lot of free throws. Uh, we never really got in a rhythm because of the refs. I think, uh, like I would say, we played kind of an okay game. Um, we really stepped it up defensively in the second half, holding them to I think like 40, 41 points in the second half. Really played great defense. Uh, but but the fact that we kind of beat the Timberwolves by double digits, not playing kind of our A game at all, uh, was very surprising, especially how the the playoff series went last uh, last year. And I just it just showed that um, and, and maybe it'll work out for them against other teams, but everything that made them a hard matchup for us, I feel like uh, they did a good job of changing to make them a great matchup for us. And that was my big takeaway was that and it is one game and we'll see how we play when we play them in Minnesota. But the thing I took away is like they are no longer one of the teams that I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know if I want to see them again in the playoffs uh, because I just think uh, having two bigs uh, that that works with us. Um, they got rid of all of their depth. I mean, our bench just killed them. It felt like uh, whenever they had to take out Anthony Edwards, we, you know, they just they had no kind of scoring. Uh, so anyway, that, those are just a few of my takeaways. Yeah, I I had the same thought because, I mean, you noticed how much more engaged Carl Anthony Towns was as soon as Rudy Gobert was off the floor and he could be the primary uh, initiator. And then even more than that, I believe now more than ever that they should hand the keys over to Anthony Edwards. I thought not just the way that he's played in this game, but going back to the playoff series, I thought he is there to me has the best potential um, in this, in this, in this new style of game. I think we're starting to move a little bit more guard centric. I know Simmons and them talked about it on his pod, but you're seeing a lot of backcourts pop up and, and Anthony Edwards is bigger uh, than just like a, a one or a two, but he plays a lot like one and he can shoot uh, so well. And I think that the style in which the, the Timberwolves have basically pushed all their chips into play has completely rendered parts of his game uh, useless. And I thought he even, you could see how much more space he had to operate when the bigs were in foul trouble. Um, And the other thing I wanted to mention is, number one, 
The Grizzlies shot their lowest three-point percentage of the season. That's 21.2%, and they still won by double digits. You do not see that very often in the NBA. Usually, if you go look at a final score and then you look at three-point percentage, uh, those two things are going to correlate a lot of the time. And so I thought it was very intriguing that that was the case in our game. Uh, Also, Kyle Anderson, former Grizz, led the Timberwolves in usage. Uh, last night, if Kyle Anderson is leading your offense and your team in usage, that means yeah. he is doing way too much on the offensive side of the ball. Carl right. uh, Anthony Towns had his lowest minute total of the season as well. All those three things <laughs> combined uh, yeah. shows you how wacky of a game. Bryn Forbes, to me, I was most scared of Bryn Forbes yeah. than, than anybody other than Ant. I mean, it was crazy how right. this game played out. He actually he actually did what everybody wants him to do all the time. Yes. Just come in and hit shots. Exactly. He, he's not been doing that as well, but he did it against us. So uh, maybe maybe we need to add him to the Grizz killer list because he was shooting out of his mind. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it is interesting because, uh, you know, and, and what's interesting is Anthony Edwards, I think – came out with energy uh, it was obvious he wanted to bring energy it was a national tv game uh they you know we beat them last year he's he has kind of a fun rivalry with jaw uh, because I, you know and, and that's and that's with a very engaged anthony edwards last night the you know i've been watching a lot of t wolves games and uh he is rarely engaged and so so he kind of brought that engagement um but it is very obvious he does not like uh, the trade. He is frustrated with the lack of space in the paint. The other thing is, you know, for us, his jaw has gotten now to where he just knows how to kill teams that play drop coverage on defense. And I think the T Wolves were able to play a lot of five out and play a lot of interesting switch uh, defenses. And with Gobert, you're going to play drop. And I just felt like uh, it was just also another interesting, just thinking back two years ago uh, to playing the Jazz in the playoffs. And how uh, Jaw kept trying to, to go right at Gobert and dunk on him, and and whereas now it's just it feels like he just goes in. And if Gobert is kind of backing off, he hits a little floater. Like he just has complete control of the game and has no intimidation whatsoever of Gobert or kind of any hesitation of what to do. And uh, and that was great to see too. Yeah, I mean, you look at our um, our scoring, and we were in the 80, 80th percentile so far this season, of a percentage of points coming at the rim. And when you look at a team that has Rudy Gobert on it, you don't see it that often because of how elite he is in rim protection. And I feel like Ja, from that first Utah series where you saw not Ja exploded a few games, but there were other times when Rudy really did shut the team down. And I think, like you were saying, like you're seeing the fear factor with Ja completely go away. And I think it's so it's so great to see that against this Timberwolves team, which is still so easy to hate, even though they've gotten rid of some of their depth pieces that made them yes. very very hateable. But I know my my son was very upset about not getting to boo Patrick. Bedley. Oh, I know it's so, it's one of the it's so one of the more was... fun things you can do, and now we get to do that with him on the yeah. Lakers, which is I mean still pretty sweet. Um, right. What a, one one other fun note that I. Uh, that game, like kind of just being there and seeing it was that, you know, we, we let them back in the game early third quarter. And what was interesting was uh, Jenkins had one of those timeouts, those quick kind of pop timeouts where he gets mad, calls a timeout real quick. But it was really interesting to me because 
I think uh, it could, you could feel in the second half that Jenkins had gotten onto the team about not shooting enough and not shooting threes quick enough. And, and Bain kind of hesitated. He kind of pump faked when he could have shot it, and then he kind of drove in and turned the ball over. And you could tell. It was, it was interesting because you don't often see Jenkins, like, yell at Bain or Jaw or anybody like that. And he, like, yelled at Bain to shoot it. And it was very interesting to me uh, because we put up a lot more threes. Unfortunately, we still weren't hitting them but we definitely uh our guys were shooting them when they were open in the second half and and that's one of those things that that in that game didn't necessarily pay off uh but I think it it helped our flow of our offense but but I think we'll pay off down the road um his just kind of continue desire to let it fly um so I I I thought that was an interesting uh, little exchange there he had with Bay. NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Place a same-game parlay and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, and more. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where the Grizz Den podcast goes to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Yeah, a few more emptying the notebook things for me. Uh, Santi Aldama with one of the highlights of the year with his reverse alley-oop. I mean, he got up. And now Santi is about to be known by his signature reverse dunk. The lost art is back. Uh, I read a tweet. (laughs) He loves the reverse. He does. I I read it in his presser afterwards. Apparently that started out as a joke. And then he realized steadily that it's harder to foul or it's easier to get a foul drawn if you go in reverse because it confuses the defender. And so I think it's he hasn't necessarily had a foul drawn yet, but he's basically implying that a, a forward dunk is easier to block. And so people will just get confused. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is I thought Dylan played really well. I think he paced us uh, offensively in the first half, took a bunch of really good shots and uh, passed when he needed yeah. to. Uh, so he continues yeah. his good play there. I thought that. Yeah, and uh, go ahead. That, uh, yeah, so top in top in net rating on the team. Yes. So just for, absolutely, just to throw it out there to our listeners. Yep. Since many of them don't like him. Brandon uh, Clark continues. We win the best. Oh yeah, for sure. Sorry to floor. interrupt. We're re- remote. As no, you're you fine. Can, if you can't tell, so there's going to be a little <laughs> bit connection issue. But Brandon Clark continues to be the Timberwolves kryptonite. Uh, I thought his energy off the bench was vital, and if I would absolutely be dreading seeing him if I were a Wolves fan because apparently he has their number. Uh, yeah. Last thing is you're seeing um, you're seeing some rookie moments uh, from Laravia and Roddy both. I mean, Roddy actually had yeah. he was two for two, which is great. Didn't have yeah. a lot of run, but I thought Laravia today. Yeah. You saw kind of how frustrating it can be when you're not hitting shots and and you rely on that as your kind of target skill um but at the same time uh it it was it was one of those games you want them to run out and you want them to make mistakes and and keep shooting yeah no definitely and and then uh yeah one other thing that was interesting on that Santi dunk as far as a you know fun thing with uh, the T-Wolves is D'Angelo Russell was the one that he let he just totally lost track of Santi on that back cut 
and uh, Finch just immediately took a timeout. Or, I mean, immediately pointed to the bench and got somebody in there. And D'Angelo actually sat on the bench for the final like six, seven minutes of the game um, because he was so mad that uh, that he lost track of Santi on that on that dunk. It was crazy. D'Angelo Russell scored one of the very first buckets of the game. Didn't score again till the very like last half of the fourth quarter. Total of four points. That's the D'Angelo Russell experience, folks. <laughs> All right, so we talked a little bit on our podcast referencing the uh, the Celtics game. We we glossed over a little bit the Spurs game, but in a few minutes, John, did you have any big takeaways from either of those games? Yeah. So uh, so for me, one was we. Uh, I just you know it's one of those things. Uh, the Spurs just are always going to play well, even about their talent. Uh, it's one of uh, especially at San Antonio, I just get excited when we get out of there with the W. I try not to get too upset, but I will say we got very lucky. They had two very makeable shots at the end of regulation um, to win it and at the end of the overtime to win it. And so, you know, when we talk about coin flip games, uh, that was definitely a game that, that we won, but we very, very easily could have lost. And I think that the the other thing is just that that's one of those games to me that show that reminds me we're still a young team. It's hard. We won 56 games last year. We're doing already well again this year. Uh, we forget how young we are. And one of the things that that game showed me uh, that, you know, the, the crazy uh, the refs losing track of the clock and the clock not running. And then uh, hilariously, Brevin and Pete uh, having to tell the refs that the clock didn't run. All time. So funny. Yes, it was great. But but one thing that that kind of masked over, I think, and sort of just kind of the talk after the game was that we blew it. Like we had a huge lead um, and and that we did not take care of the ball. And it's one of those things that I realized for us is we've sort of been in neck and neck back and forth games and we've been and we've blown people out. We've not really had a lot of experience with the kind of we're up five, six points we need to just make our free throws, take care of the ball. We haven't really had a lot of those games. And it does seem like, and even thinking back to last year's games, it does seem like we do have some trouble taking care of the ball that we've often, we, like when we're, when we need free throws to like tie the game, we're good at it. But it's when these like four or five point games where we just need free throws to get the game done that we sometimes miss. And so it'll be interesting to see. I'd like to see us improve on that. But that was just something. That was my kind of my big takeaway was that we still don't know how to kind of win uh, those sort of games. Yeah, I actually, it's crazy you mentioned free throws. That was going to be my point in both the Boston and the San Antonio game. One thing when I was looking through, which uh, we reference it a lot, but cleaning the glass is just great for taking some, um, basically matching what you're watching to what are the actual numbers behind that and presenting it in a, in a great format. And here they have this stat uh, in specific games where you can actually see free throw rate which is the number of free throw, or excuse me, how many free throws did the team make per 100 field goal attempts? And in the Boston game, Memphis was in the second percentile in that, which is 8.8 per 100 field goal attempts. And a lot of that had to do with a lack of just getting to the line. Only three guys actually went to the line. Tatum, on the other hand, went to the line 16 times. He had 16 free throws, and only Bain, John, Dylan made their way. Dylan only once, and he was one for two. Mm -hmm. Uh, In San Antonio, we were in the fourth percentile, or excuse me, fifth percentile in free throw rate with a 10.2 
uh, per 100 field goal attempts. And so I think you're seeing some of that, which is, number one, we have to make them when we get there. We get Jaw gets there yep. plenty. Uh, but then the other thing is, you know, with an increase in three-point volume, one of the things you do sacrifice is, is your advantage from the free-throw line. Now, for a team like the Grizzlies, I think it's going to be really interesting to tease this out a little bit more, get a bigger sample size, and see what our, you know, free-throw uh, average should be, uh, what to expect realistically, and then from there, uh, adjusting our expectation on whether we need to have a team that attacks the rim more or if we should uh, prioritize you know, these yeah. th- more three-point shots. And so that's definitely one thing to watch. But in the fourth quarter in a game that's going to come down to the wire, a team is going to be forced to make free throws if they were going to want to win. And I did. I do agree with you. I thought, I thought we got out of there um, pretty lucky, and I, I'm glad we did. Yeah, uh, a couple other quick takeaways. Bain was great. I thought that was like a huge Bain game, and I think more and more, uh, and and kind of a big takeaway from the week that I might talk about when we get to Boston, uh, I think more and more Jaw, uh, who is hyping Bain up great, but I think Jaw also, I think, needs to be okay with saying, I don't totally have it tonight, and I'm going to let Bain take over. And Bain really took over that game, uh, especially when Jaw was sitting. Um, but I thought Bain made huge shots for us down the stretch. And so it was just an, it, that was kind of – I look at that game, and that was a big uh, Bain game. And then one other thing that was sort of interesting to me uh, about that uh, was just that the Spurs are yet another team that showed – and this is why I'm excited about getting Jaron back is is that we we struggle with the five-out teams. We've, we You know, the Mavs killed us. The Jazz killed us. And here's a Spurs team that doesn't have the talent uh, of those two teams, uh, but really, you know, put everybody out. And I know Pearl's kind of like doing his sort of thing, but he kind of stands out by the free throw line. But we, we've struggled with teams uh, when, they, when they've kind of gone all out on us. And so I'm excited about getting Jaron back because I think he's going to be a huge help there. Uh, and so that's the other thing. Just the Spurs are kind of a weird matchup for us, the way they play. Yeah, Sohan, too. He actually showed a bit more range than I gave him credit for mm-hmm. in our last podcast. I thought his, his I compared him to BC a little bit due to his energy, uh, but he yeah. his shot looks a, a bit better uh, than BC's. Yeah. And so he's going to be uh, no, he's an, he not look, he looked great to play uh, and having him in our division. Um, all right, quickly, any takeaways from Boston? Uh, for me, the big thing was just, uh, I mean, it's weird because I don't, I think we're too good, uh, to have to say moral victory, but that's kind of what I felt about that game. There were some takeaways, uh, but the fact that you don't have Steven Adams, you don't have Jaron and you're playing, uh, a team that has, uh, is, is the number one offense in the NBA and I think played them very well. And and really, honestly, had to throw the rookies in a lot of uh, a lot of tough situations. And they're a team that's going to take advantage of everything you do. And you know, I felt bad for Santi. Uh, I heard y'all talk on the pod about this was kind of like a Santi moment where he got overwhelmed. And and I think they came out. You know, it was one of those weird. We came out and matched him up with Marcus Smart, and that did not go well. Marcus like torched him early. And, and, you know, and again, uh, I just said it, one of those five out teams, you know, that we struggle with when I'm really excited about getting Jaron back, who kind of can play, can be a five in defending a team like that. Uh, but that was, you know, but, but besides that, I thought this was the first real, man, it felt like a playoff game as far as how hard everybody was playing on the court, uh, putting it all out there, how much everybody wanted to win, uh, 
you know, and then and, and kind of with that, that was sort of my takeaway was that I thought Jaw kind of got caught up in Jaw versus Tatum a little bit and MVP stuff, and I thought he probably should have looked um, to, you know, basically look to, to get Tatum off of him with a pick and roll or passed it to Bain or Dylan. Um, and, uh, instead he tried to drive on him and, and got blocked a couple times. And so it was one of those games where, you know, we actually, uh, we rarely see, but they might've had the, the best player on the floor, at least that game. I, I think a lot of people, you know, we could talk about whether they're just, you know, I, I, th- I would still rather have jaw than Tatum. But uh, Tatum, I think, uh, was the best player on the floor that game, at least. Yeah, what stuck out to me really was that he um, he was forcing a lot of threes, and I think part of that was we were coming from behind near the end, and he and and it actually ended up working. Uh, there was, yeah. I will say, the fact that it was a one possession game at the end was a little crazy. Uh, add another yeah. uh, another filing to Slipgate. Uh, our players slipping at the end of games. Yes. I don't know what's going yeah. on, but uh, no. Ja or Bain, whenever it's kind of a late game situation, I don't know what it, if we just need to mop exactly where they're going to be yeah. uh, just to make sure, or whether we need to change shoes here. Maybe we need some the yeah. Nike Morants will help. Um, but that's one <laughs> thing. So. Just just file that under yeah. Slipgate, and we're going to keep track of that yeah. this year. So that was another example. Yeah, yeah and I forgot. Um, and I forgot to say. I mean, we were on a back-to-back too. So I mean, that's another thing that for the moral victory, I totally forgot that. You know, that was a back-to-back that we were on. So that, I think that might have also added to why Jaw took a lot of threes, trying to conserve some energy. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, we're gonna get to uh, previewing the Wizards, Pelicans, and Thunder games this week. But before we get to that, we are going to return to the game that continues to sweep the nation. It is. Guess who? Craft, you are asking me yes. this week, and I'm praying I do better okay. than last time. So, yeah, so, I, so I'm so i cheating a little bit, so I apologize, because I'm going to ask you for two names and not just one. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to give you hints if it's hard. But So as one of the things that we... One of the things we noted last year that was so amazing was Ja Morant led the league in points in the paint, um, and, he, and he's seventh right now, by the way, average uh, in average points in the paint. Uh, Giannis is number one by a lot. Uh, Giannis is dominating the paint. So this week we are playing the second and the third players of points in the paint. So it's two different teams. I'll let you know that. Uh, but we are playing the second and the third players uh, players with points in the paint do you know who those two players are i think i'm pretty confident about one of them and i have an educated guess about the second the okay. first is is one of them shea gilgis alexander yes so he is third place so that's yes so okay. that was that's very and good then, so he's the one i thought you would struggle with so no it was funny because in, in my prep for this podcast i was one of the things that stuck out and we'll get there in a second was actually how many threes he's not taking I thought he would be taking more threes. Yeah. That. He's scoring a ton, so no. you put two and two together. Um, is the other one Jonas Valanciunas? No, no, it's not. Is it but Zion? The team. It is Zion. He's already second okay. in points in the paint. That's points nuts. Per game, okay, so. I knew it was Zion or yeah. Jonas, and uh, I was going to take a little bit more of like the non-mainstream answer because I know Jonas, how much he loves scoring in the paint, even though they want to tout him as yeah. a three-point shooter, but... That's impressive. So Shea and, and Zion are both top three in points yeah, in the second paint? second and third. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, there we go. I'll take one out of two. Um, all right. Well, let's get to, to previewing these matchups. The Wizards we've seen 
once before. We're playing them in an identical time slot on an identical day within one week. And so we're playing them Sunday <laughs> night, 5 p.m. The Wizards are 7 and yep. 6, which is good for 5th in the East. They have not had Bradley yep. Beal um, in the last week. Right. And we'll see. He's listed as day-to-day. And so we, we're not sure whether right. or not he's going to end up playing uh, tomorrow night. Here's to hoping he does not. Uh, but they're 24th yeah. in offense, 20th in defense, and 23rd in net rating. So, John, what are you looking ahead yeah. to against, against yes. the Wizards? Well, so, I mean, I think the big thing is going to be is Beal back. And is do, do they play – Chris Stapps has been out for a couple games with a bad groin. He played tonight, but, the, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he plays on a back-to-back. So, so that's one big thing for me is that this is one of our first times we're actually getting a schedule win game. So they played tonight uh, – and played the Jazz, which is a team that tires you out because they make you run everywhere because they pass the ball really well. So it'll be interesting to see how they come out tomorrow uh, with that. Um, and so part of it's going to be interesting because, you know, it's going to be the Kyle Kuzma show. He's going to be putting up a ton of shots if if Chris Stapps and, and Beal are not there. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. The other big storyline is that uh, as excited as we all were to have Jaron Jackson listed as doubtful, that jaw and bane are also listed as doubtful uh, with a uh, with a toe <laughs> with a bane with a toe and and jaw with an ankle which if you watch the game yesterday uh, he kind of tw- he he tweaked it a little bit um, and he's honestly tweaked it a couple times I think in the last few days so I don't know so I, my feeling is for both of them this is kind of just a rest game potentially uh, so I I see them as both out uh, but we'll see. Um, because I don't, neither of them were listed as questionable, but it seems like it's kind of a rest game for them. But to me, that's obviously a big deal. If we don't have, you know, not having our top three players, it's going to be hard to win a game, even against a wizard team without their uh, top two players. Yeah, you're placing over 60 minutes um, and you are, um, yeah, you're in a spot where I, I am actually a little worried about the jaw injury I think that he has like you said had a couple of these where I just watch him like it looks like he is has a moment of like you know hopping 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 over to the it looks like to the bench but then Jenkins doesn't seem phased leaves him out there so this must happen even more than we uh we can see like hopefully not too much but maybe in practice and uh then within like a couple minutes Josh seems to be fine and is running um and especially when he when we make a stop and they give him the ball it's just like immediately back to normal um Bane I don't know I mean I thought I I thought that was a little funny that it was a toe uh based on the pre-existing uh, injuries that Baines already had like I feel like you could easily get a- away with putting one of those if this is more of a scheduled rest game but yeah I- I'm totally interested uh, to see of course number one Jaron if he comes back he's listed as doubtful I doubt he will but then also we're going to get to see more of our rookies we're going to get to see mm-hmm. uh, Tyus is going to get a chance to start which means that Kennedy Chandler may get some run uh, because Bane I mean if if Bane isn't there either, you don't have a guy who has been, you know, a secondary ball handler at times and a backup point guard in a few instances. And so you're going to see Chandler. Uh, you're going to see a lot more LaRavia and Roddy, you would think, just to fill in the gaps on minutes. And, yep. um, yeah, it's going to be a really entertaining game, I hope. And last time we had yep. a pretty big – we were down at first, got a big league, let him 
you know, right. come back into it, which part of that probably had to do with the timing of the game and also just taking our foot off the gas. But yeah. you're going to be, like I said, replacing over 60 minutes of Ja and Dez potentially. And, you know, both of them are averaging uh, high 20s, you know, low 30s. So we'll see what happens. Right. And, and and I understand, you know, and I think it's it's a good place to get a rest game. Uh, we're coming off a very emotional game. Uh, the Pelicans and the Thunder are both Western Conference teams coming up. And that Pelicans game is actually a pretty big game as far as just seeding and other things like that. And we've already played the Wizards once and beaten them. So I can see kind of, you know, taking a schedule loss here. Uh, but I hope we come out and play well. One one reason, just as a side note, uh, one interesting aspect is if we do win tomorrow, there's a very, very good chance uh, because the Utah Jazz, who are the first first in the Western Conference right now, the Utah Jazz are playing at the 76ers. 76ers are very good at home, obviously way more talented than the Jazz. And uh, and also the 76ers, I believe, have already lost to them. So I think they the 76ers are going to come out strong. So there's a good chance if we win tomorrow that we might be number one in the standings uh, when we wake up Monday morning, So which would be pretty cool thinking about all the injuries and everything we've had. So in some ways, I'm hoping uh, if we end up resting – um, John and and Des that they get healthy and that our bench comes out and does what it did last year and be, win a game we're not expecting. Absolutely. Well, the next game we're going to be playing is on Tuesday night. That is in New Orleans. Uh, it's six thirty game, by the way. So don't assume seven central. It is a six thirty game. Uh, so tune in early that night, and we're going to uh, see a. Uh, a Western Conference opponent that we haven't had a lot of success with in past years in a matchup standpoint, and yet we always seem to find ourselves ahead of them in the standings. The Mavericks yeah. and the Pelicans are both like this. Uh, right now, the Pelicans are sitting at 6-6. Six and six. That's good for 8th in the Western Conference. They are ninth in offense and 15th in defense, with so a 10th tenth uh, in net rating, which if you look at uh, I mean, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies, uh, ironically enough, have been really, really next to each other uh, the whole season in this net rating stat. And they're actually a few spots ahead of us as of right now with a worse record. And uh, yeah, what are you looking forward to in this uh, Pelicans game? Man, I just it's <laughs> one of those. I mean, this was one of the ones that I expected to lose. And so it'll be interesting coming off uh, potentially a loss because of resting guys. Uh, if that happens, what kind of energy we're going to bring uh, to this game. I know it's a big rival game. Uh, at some point, I think Ja has to hate the fact that he always loses to Zion whenever they play against each other. Uh, it'll also be, the I think, uh, it'll be a TNT game, so a big nationally televised game as well, So, which is why the 6.30 start time. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, as I've made fun of the Pelicans, I think they have one good defensive player uh, who starts for them and, and Herb Jones and the other four are very poor defensively. And, and it's an interesting thing. And, and one thing that I noticed, I watched the game tonight uh, where, again, they just messed around uh, with uh, the Rockets but didn't get caught. And they've been messing around with a lot of teams and getting caught. Uh, what's weird is when all their guys are healthy and playing, they look sort of sort of meh. But when but they have that bench of like Larry Nance, um, uh, what's his name, the short guy. Jose. Uh, who steals the ball. Yeah, Jose. Uh, like all those guys – uh, and they play really well. And in fact, those two guys ended the game tonight. Uh, they were down by, ten, I think, eight eight points to the Houston Rockets late and then made like a 22-2 a to two run with Larry Nance and Jose in the game. 
And so it's interesting because I feel like the bench players know their role and play them well. And so it's one of those weird things where we might play well with their stars, but I'm very nervous when their bench comes in, the kind of energy they bring, especially at home, uh, to kind of – that'll be look. it'll look uh, – I'll be interested to see if our bench can match their bench and kind of how they play and their energy – uh, because I think that's what makes the Pelicans really tough is they're also a deep, pretty deep team as well. Yeah, uh, one thing that I noticed in doing a little bit of research on this team is that they are the ranked third in the uh, the shots attempted at the rim, and they're ranked 30th in the league in shots attempted from three. And so I think you are seeing that was a, a, an appropriate stat in your guess who about points in the paint because – this team is is basically the poster child for that. The other two teams ahead of them are the Lakers and the Charlotte Hornets, and I think a lot of that has to, is less to do with a strategy and more to do with their complete lack of shooting uh, around. Yes. At least New Orleans has a few guys who you're worried about if they pull it from behind the arc, but I think you're seeing the Zion effect already this year. You're seeing the bet that they made with Jonas Valanciunas as well. Uh, as their as their yeah. uh, center, and I think it's going to be really interesting because Jaron, if he's back, that that's a big deal. Uh, protecting the rim, yeah. and uh, you know, Stevo has been doing a fine job, and he's a big body in there. But you're going to need you're going to need somebody who can who can be a little bit more versatile um, and can protect it, especially with guys like Zion who who typically play above the rim and below it. And so that's one thing I'm going to be. Watching and, and they have a very average their their field goal percentage is average which you know that's if you're shooting most of your shots at the rim you want it to be above average average from a field goal percentage standpoint so um, it's it's definitely going to be something to watch there and we always seem again to to play our worst game of the season but maybe with this schedule uh, loss or schedule rest I should say I don't want to assume a loss against the Wizards yeah. we'll we'll see a team that's fresh ready to go and potentially has their uh yeah. their lead rim protector back yeah I mean at this point we have to not I mean we we go down to New Orleans and get killed and I, and I feel like our team should have some pride at this point of not wanting that to happen uh yet again early in the season go down there and and get killed and uh and so but, you know people always say we have this curse that we keep losing the Mavs the Pelicans but we keep finishing ahead of them in the standings I'd rather finish ahead of them in the standings but it's I'm getting tired of losing to these two teams so uh, and, and it's weird, too, because I think both the Mavs and the Pelicans, like you watch them play other teams and they look so mediocre. It's like so frustrating. Like the, the Mavs, um, you know, lose, you know, have lost some. Both of them have lost to just some terrible teams. And it's just very strange uh, that for some reason they play us so well. So, yeah, uh, John, I just did a little bit of investigative work and I have I have some findings to report. And this has okay. to do with our game at home against the Oklahoma City Thunder on Friday night. And that is, uh, by the way, did you happen to get to the Minnesota game early enough to get a trucker hat? I did not, oh. no. Okay, well, they were... Yeah, they were, no, I'm very unfortunate. It was a great item of the game, a great giveaway. I was glad they did it because I'll probably be wearing that um, out in, in on a daily basis. But I looked at the promotional schedule because I remembered in the back of my head, I knew there was something that they were giving out this Friday night. What do you know? It is the Jaron Jackson Jr. Block Panther socks. Do you think there is an organizational strategy <laughs> to bringing back Jaron Jackson Jr. on the night 
in which they are giving away Ooh. his themed socks, his item of the game that is, you know, based on his defensive prowess. Uh it's also interesting, you know, may- the movie's being released as well, so there's one argument to make. Yes. I guess you could say yes. that's one counter. That's true. But I got to think, yeah. the, 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 I'm just saying, the timing is a little uncanny. <laughs> it makes me upset that when we were predicting when he came back, we didn't we didn't think about same, this. Same, And that's on me. <laughs> that's on me, honestly. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. That could be really fun. That does make, that. it's funny, that does, you know, that that maybe makes me wonder if, if the, the chances of him coming back Tuesday are, are are pretty probably pretty slim because I think that would be like a fun. I could see the organization seeing, and that, it's a Friday uh, home game. You know, um, I don't know that synergy. We'll there. see. Yeah. All right, what do you think about OKC? Have you seen much of them this season so far? I've I've watched a little bit of them. I haven't seen them as much as some of the other teams, just because uh, unlike you know the Blazers and the Jazz, uh, I just think Sam Presti is like for sure going to make sure they tank he's going to for sure shut SGA down which you know frustrates me because I think they're a really fun team when they uh I like Giddy you know I like SGA you know there's actually a news report this uh this week of SGA starting to complain about the losing what do you know and yes so I so it'll be interesting to see but I mean what again I I put the thunder uh because as I, as I talk about the Pelicans being like a hype team that does not uh, like like the Mavs, like other teams that have not, you know, like the Warriors. Maybe we can talk about them in a second. That uh, that have not lived up to the hype so far. Have kind of lost some teams that are surprising. The Thunder are in this camp with the Jazz, with the Blazers, uh, of and even honestly with the Spurs of playing sort of above what people expected. Coming out and beating a lot of teams. They they beat the Clippers twice in a row. Uh, so so all that to say. They're like the Spurs. We have to come out and take care of business Friday night. Like if we come come out and mess around, it will be a close game, and they will execute well. And SGA is a great closer, and and like he's a really winning player, uh, especially in close games. And so and so I'd be nervous. You know, Dort's going to get in there and play really good defense on Jaw. I think probably be very physical with John Bain, whoever he decides to guard. Uh, so they're they're a good team that will that will you know. Uh, maybe surprise people it's definitely this is not going to be walk in and win by 76 points uh like we did last year that is not this thunder team they're they're a legitimate nba team and uh and so in that sense uh you know we need to take them seriously i also think after having two days of rest and coming in and being home and jaron having his first home game most likely uh i do expect to win this game like this should be a professional win for sure yeah uh a few things I was really excited preseason for this game because I think Chet Holmgren is somebody that you I personally wanted to see in person um, because he's just I mean uh, his physicality is really interesting uh, the way he plays uh, is also very effective despite his physical profile and also I think he and Jaron are, are kind of comps for each other. I think he, uh, the Thunder are probably looking at Jaron as somebody for him to watch just the way that he play, Jaron plays defense, but also the way he gets to his spots behind the three-point line in particular. So I'm bummed because yeah. he Chad is actually out for the season, which is playing into some of the, the tanking potential there. Um, right. I also am uh, very high on Jalen Williams. This is who I wanted the Grizzlies to target in the draft, but Jalen went, of course, way earlier than uh, he was necessarily projected to and he had this weird 
elbow to the face like in his very first game, which left him out. And so he's not getting a ton of buzz right now, but he's a guy who's actually in the 70th percentile in uh, total points scored per 100 shot attempts. And he d- isn't, in my opinion, getting enough uh, usage yeah. and enough minutes right. so far. But he's right. a guy to watch. Like he's he's this no, yeah. prototypical wing that can uh, potentially grow into uh, a very gifted offensive player, like three and D on steroids. And so yeah. that's one guy that you're gonna love to watch. Yeah, I think I think uh, if he had the usage of Matherin, I think that he could have potentially kind of have that. Like, I don't think I don't know if he'd be as good as Matherin is right now, but I think he would have that kind of buzz of oh, this is a really good rookie. You know, if he kind of had the opportunities uh, that Matherin's had at Indiana, for sure. Yeah. So he's a fun person to watch. For sure. Well, um, I I personally think that uh, two and one at the end of this week will be a success based on who's resting yes. tomorrow night, based on just the Pelicans in general, and then based on the professional win that we should have against the Thunder. But we will be definitely back with you to review those. Before we get out of here, John, you met, you referenced it a second ago. What are your thoughts yes. on the Warriors so far? And then yes. quickly, any, anything else that you'd like to, uh, yeah, to say yes. about the Western I'd, Conference? I just wanted to, uh, you got a you got a Warriors uh, comment at the end of the pod last pod, and I just wanted to say amen to that. I think it's the story with all the drama going on with like the Lakers, how bad they are with the Nets. That there's been this underreported story out there, which is that the Warriors are a very mediocre team. They have a great top five, and I think even Jordan Poole when he plays with the starters is good, but outside of that. Their team is very bad, and it really reminds me of the Lakers after the bubble championship when they got rid of a lot of their vets, and and they kind of had this weird season, and uh, and everybody kept waiting for them to turn it on, but they kept ha- having this sort of mediocre season, and I'm starting to think that that's the Warriors this year. I mean, their last two wins, Steph went crazy, <laughs> went yep, crazy, that's the point I was like make. over 40 points. 40. Yes, twice, and both of them have come with extreme controversy. Uh, Clay very obviously fouled uh, at the end of the Kings game. It was a very obvious foul that in the two-minute report that everybody was saying. He fouled him twice, really. A three-point shooter that could have tied it or would have cut three for those. And then last night, uh, up one, Clay had the worst moving screen of all time that again was reported in the two-minute report that got Steph open for a three. I mean, it was so bad. And so there's been so they could be even worse than they are right now, and I think they're five and seven, right, or six and seven, what five are they? and seven now. Um, and so five and seven. I mean, they could easily be three and nine. And I don't, and I just think people aren't talking about it enough that it's taking an unbelievable that Steph is great, but it's very obvious that the rest of that kind of starting group has declined a little bit, and that their bench has just fallen off a cliff without the vets. And so I, th- I just think that's a big story to watch. And, and, and for me, I'm starting to get worried because I, I, you know, I made a prediction about us being one and two with the Warriors for Christmas Day. And I'm starting to worry that we're going to come in uh, like we're going to be the team with the good record. And they're going to be this like, you know, 50, uh, 50, uh, 50, 50 team sort of win loss record. And, uh, you know, and people will still be hyping it up. But but anyway, it it. it if I were a Warriors fan, I would be very, very concerned. Yep. Clay Thompson and Draymond Green combined for 11 points against the Cavs uh both played uh 30 minutes or over uh that's been the story to me I mean they're a they're a Steph Curry sprained ankle away from being 
at the bottom of the league in a lot of categories, yeah. and I'm worried. And you're supposed to wait till next year when we have your draft. Pick. Absolutely, that's the <laughs> that's the subplot that we need to start talking about right now. Uh, blow it up, Golden State. Blow it up. Uh, one last thing, last last thing. I forgot to mention this in the Minnesota. Yeah. Carl Anthony Towns to the New York Knicks in return for R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier, and a bunch of draft kicks. Draft picks. You heard it here first, Minnesota. That's your key to getting out of this hell. Uh, I'm. I honestly regret even saying it because I don't want to give them any good ideas uh, to make their team no. better. I enjoy this version of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, John, any any parting shots here before we wrap it up? No, no, just excited. Uh, you know, for all the craziness of these first few weeks, uh, we're on the brink of first place in the Western Conference, and we're about to get uh, our Defensive Player of the Year back. And so that's super exciting. Let's hope Jaron is back. I prefer it's before Block Panther Sox night, but if it's Block Pan- Panther Sox night, that'll be a blast. All right, this yes. has been another edition of the Weekend Update. For John, I'm Will. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next weekend. <laughs>